This is uh, lesson 67 of the book of Matthew. We're in chapter 23. And if you remember, Yeshua is speaking to his disciples and the crowd, and he's speaking to them about the error of the scribes and the Pharisees. He's actually told the people that while they, they are to observe the Torah, they're not to observe many of the traditional teachings of the Pharisees on how to observe the Torah. Because their additions to the law were a heavy burden on men. And as I pointed out last time, this for Yeshua is really dangerous ground. To be a critic of these men was not only a bad idea because they were in power and they might become angry with you, but also because they're highly respected among the people. The people thought the Pharisees were quite virtuous. They were the teachers of the law. And so even the people could become angry with you. And so we can see this in the words of Josephus. He says this of the Pharisees. And whatsoever they, the Pharisees, do about the divine worship, the prayers, and the sacrifice, they, the priests, perform according to their direction, insomuch that the cities give great attestations to them on account of their entire virtuous conduct, both in their actions of their lives and also in their discourses. Because of the halakha that they practiced, the way they walked and carried out Torah, because of the very traditions that Yeshua is criticizing, the cities, or we could say the people, thought they were very pious men and gave approval to what they said and did to the degree that the priests in the temple, even though they disagreed with them, did as they said out of fear of the people. And this is going to be really important for us to understand as we continue on in this chapter. Now, the last time we covered the first three verses of Matthew chapter 23 well enough, but I want to just start by reading from the beginning again for continuity since we left off in the middle, so to speak, of Yeshua's thought. And so let's read beginning with verse 1 of chapter 23. And this is from the Young's Literal. Then Yeshua said to the crowds and to his disciples, On the seat of Moses sat down the scribes and the Pharisees. All then, as much as they say to you observe, to observe, observe and do. But according to their works, do not. For they say and do not. For they bind together heavy burdens, grievous to be borne, and lay them on the shoulders of men, but with their finger they will not move them. And so this is where we left off. And, and I spent most of la the last lesson showing that Yeshua is actually saying that the Torah that the Pharisees were responsible to teach should be obeyed. But the traditional teachings were not to be obeyed because they were a burden. And Yeshua calls the Pharisees' works a burden. We know that he's speaking of tradition and not God's Torah, how do we know? Well, it was because God gave, is the one who gave Torah. He doesn't say, God has placed upon men's shoulders a burden too heavy to bear. He says, the Pharisees have tied up a heavy load. You see, it was the additions to God's Torah that were the burden. God gave his Torah to his people that they might live in freedom and blessing. The freedom and blessing that he had secured for them. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law added burden to the commands of God. There's another way that we know he's not speaking of Torah. 
Yeshua did not think that the law of God was a burden, and we can see that in the words of his disciple, the Apostle John. And when I read these words, remember, it was the disciples' task to learn the teachings of his teacher word for word. So that when the discipleship was over, the teacher had actually made a copy of himself. So that tells us that John, having been discipled by Yeshua, and also his being led by the Spirit, will reflect Yeshua's teaching. And John says this, in 1 John 5 and verse 1, he says, Everyone who believes that Yeshua is the Messiah is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. And so John tells us flat out that the commands of the Torah are for those who love God and Messiah, and they are not burdensome. That means Yeshua could have never called them burdensome as well. And so he must be speaking to the additions that were added by the Pharisees. You know, it's so important when reading the writings of Shaul and the words of Yeshua to distinguish between the law of God, the Torah, and the rabbi's traditions. And sadly, many believers in Yeshua don't understand the difference between the law and the additions to the law. So often, when someone comes to me and they're critical about keeping the Torah, and in their criticism, I can tell you, they don't even mention the command of God. What they do is they just start off with a list, uh, listing off a number of the traditions that the rabbis had added, and not really the commands of God at all. Often when people think of the Sabbath as being a burden, it's not because the Sabbath is a burden, because the Sabbath is a gift of God and it's a joy. I mean, really, folks, what is burdensome about taking a day off, setting aside a day to focus on God? What's so burdensome about that? It's a joy. However, many people look at the added traditions and the restrictions placed upon the Sabbath by the rabbis, and they think that the Sabbath is a burden. They think those things are what God commanded. Not so, and far be it. Sadly, if they would just separate those things from the Sabbath and follow just what Scripture has to say about the Sabbath and their keeping the commands, they would find the joy in the Sabbath. Amen? Amen. The Torah gives life and peace to those who take hold of it. And the rules of men are what make a slave out of you. You see, the problem for many Christians is we don't know the difference. And so how do we find out the difference? Well, it's really easy. You read and study the Torah. You go to the afternoon Torah study. You learn the commands of God. And you learn them so well that when you hear a rabbinic tradition, you'll know that it's not Torah. You want to come to know the real thing so well that when you hear the counterfeit, it just doesn't even ring true to you. That is not Torah. And therein lies the problem for Christians. Because of Christian traditions, the Christian tradition of Messiah having done away with the Torah or portions of the Torah, we never read the Torah thinking it's obsolete. And so, you're easily fooled. Amen? 
So here's what Matthew continues in verse 6. He says, And all their works they do to be seen by men. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplace and have men call them rabbi. Now, this is actually the topic for what's going to follow. And it is that the Pharisees and the scribes do their works to be seen by men. In other words, he's telling us that the traditions that they do, these things associated with keeping the law, are done to be seen by men. In other words, they're hypocritical works. They're self-serving works. You see, there's a message, and there's, there's a statement in Perkei Avot, the sayings of the fathers, that says the same thing. Listen to what it says, Perkei Avot 2.8. Rabban Yohanan ben Zakkai received it from Hillel and Shammai. And he would say, if you have learned much Torah, do not puff yourself up on that account. For it was for this purpose that you were created. You see, let me tell you something. I found that when it comes to keeping the commands of God, there are actually only two types of people. Those who keep the commands of God. The ones who keep the commands because they love God, because they've come to know the Master, and they're so grateful what the Master have done for them, so grateful for the life that He gave them, that they see His commands as really good instructions. And they want to follow them. And they study the word of God with an open heart to see what God would have for them. They study not to know, but they study to do. And they do it out of a gratitude and a love for what God has done for them. Then there are those who keep the commands of God for other reasons. To feel better about themselves. To feel superior to others in the community because they keep the commands better. They want to be seen as pious above the rest, bring praise and accolades to themselves. They're critical of others for not keeping the Torah as they do because the way they keep it is obviously the way it should be kept. Well, there's nothing new under the sun because that's exactly what Yeshua is getting at here. And I'm going to show you that as we go through this today. I want to show you something else. This word rabbi, let's look at its definition. It means the great one, my honorable sir. It also, another, if you look in the Strongs, it means my master, my great one, my master. They wanted to be greeted as rabbi because they wanted to be seen as above the rest. They were what we could call puffed up, just like that tradition said. If you remember from our Passover Seder and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, yeast is equated to sin because it does the same thing to your life as yeast does to bread. And sin does to your life the same thing. Yeast puffs bread up, sin puffs you up. You see, if we truly loved our neighbor, we, would not, we will not want to be above the rest, but we have a desire to see and love our neighbor equally. And so the minutiae of the laws that the Pharisees and subsequent rabbis have piled on the Torah is the burden that Yeshua speaks of. And it developed from a desire to bring accolades to themselves. Understand that the more minutiae piled on the commands of God, or we could say the more extra works that they performed, the more pious one looked. And the more glory they would bring to themselves. People would say, oh, what a pious 
How pious. What a holy man. Now why people do this is obvious. We can see it in teachers even today. I'm amazed at teachers today. If you're a teacher, let me say, you can study the Bible your life long. You can spend your time in the prayer closet seeking God for understanding. And you can understand the kingdoms and the, and the secrets of the kingdom. God can give you that. But if you don't have the accolades in front of your name, hey, you're not going to sell many books. And you probably won't have too many people attending your studies. I had someone tell me the other day that he was proud as he could be that he just received his third master's degree. And I thought to myself, really? Really? Are you kidding? I thought to myself, how much time did it take from your ministry for the third, second and third master's degree? And I wondered if he would have spent that time that he took securing those master's degrees in prayer and study of the word and in teaching people how many he would have turned back to the commands of God. Let me say, I could care less and I don't think God could care at all either about the degrees he had. But if he had come to me and he would have said he had through his teaching seen three people come to a true understanding of God and his kingdom, then I wouldn't have said, really? I would have said, mazel tov. Give glory to God. Praise God for what you've done. Let me, in, let me let you in on a great mystery of the kingdom. You don't need institutes of higher learning to understand the word of God. What you need is relationship with the one who wrote the book. But you see, because of the nature of men and because of the Greek culture that we live in, we're drawn to the one with the most accolades. When in fact, God can use a donkey to teach you. And I should know. Well, it was no different then than now. Rabbis like Shaul, you know, rabbis like Shaul had another trade. And let me explain why they would do this. Rabbis like Shaul had another trade as well as being a teacher and trying to attract disciples to them. Well, I mean, if you look more holy, it's just, it's just naturally you're going to have more disciples, right? But they also had a trade that they worked in. As an example, we know that Shaul was a tent maker. Well, if they had a lot of accolades, it was good for business, let me read you from the Jewish Encyclopedia. <laughs> Besides gathering disciples, listen to what it says. The rabbis invariably had their private occupations. Shammai was a builder. Our Joshua was elected Nasi, and he was a blacksmith. The rabbis were indirectly assisted by the preference given to them in their trades and their businesses. Thus, when Rabbi Demi of Nahardia imported a vessel load of dried figs. The president of the community gave orders to hold the market for Rabbi Demi to allow him to dispose of his goods first. So I believe if we're honest in our understanding of this verse, we can certainly see that this is the topic here. The pursuit of accolades for oneself. 
I want you to notice something else before we move on about this verse that's evident from this article that we just read. And that is, there's an absence of the term rabbi, usually designated by an R in front of the name, for Shammai. See, there's no Shammai in front of, uh, no R in front of Shammai. The other two teachers have, have an R in front of their name, but not, no R in front of Shammai. You see, when Shammai and Hillel are spoken of, as with all of those who came before them, they're not called rabbi. They're called elder. They have no R in front of their name. What that means is that at the writing of the Gospels, rabbi was a relatively new term being ascribed to the teachers. Rabbi at this time is a term, uh, at this time is a term that's just coming into use. It's just becoming popular and not yet widely used. And it was not used as a title before the first century at all. You won't find any rabbis spoken of. And it's because of this, you know, that there are actually some people that think this part of Matthew was added by the early church. Because the church of the second and third, fourth centuries, the church at that time wanted to distance itself from the Jews. And so this was added. And again, they say because the term was not used in that day. Well, I personally don't think that's the case, but it does make a good argument, doesn't it? But I think we'll find something else a little different out today if we go a bit farther. Remember the topic as we, do, as we go on now is doing things for men to see and bringing accolades to yourself. So verse 8 says this, But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teachers, for you have one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so, here's what's being said. And keep it in the context of bringing accolades to yourself. You're not to be called rabbi. You're not to be called father or teacher because all accolades belong to God. You know, I have people come to me all the time coming new into the community and they all say, what, do you, what would you have me call you, Stan? Should I call you pastor? Should I call you rabbi? And I say, well, you can call me Stan because I've answered that all my life. But you know, still, there's some people who just don't feel comfortable. Oh, I can't do that. Should I call you pastor? Should I call you rabbi? Well, if you're going to call me something, then call me rabbi. But listen, I would rather have people call me Stan and listen to what I have to say and change their lives to conform into the likeness of Yeshua than call me rabbi. I could care less about what you call me, but if you want to show respect, don't use words like rabbi or pastor, but consider my teachings. Consider my words. Show respect by not bringing strange and contrary teachings into the community. Do things, don't do things that cause me grief. Don't take time. Amen? Don't take time away from my study. That's the way I want to be shown respect. And if you think I'm a teacher, then learn to do. And the do I want you to learn to do is develop relationship with Messiah Yeshua because he's the true master. Amen. Amen? But the topic here is bringing these accolades to yourself. And Yeshua says that the works of the law of the Pharisees are formulated and done to be seen by men. In other words... 
They seek the approval and the respect of men. And if we look back at the words of Josephus that we read at the beginning, they were successful. They had done that. They looked very pious. When you do that and you seek to look pious because you want the approval of men, hey, you've already missed the boat and you've already received your reward if that's what you're out for. Right? Now I say look pious because it's obvious to Yeshua that they weren't pious. If we just move a few verses ahead to to verse 25 of chapter 23, he says this. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but the inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, then you'll be clean on the outside as well. They look pious, but they're not. You see, they seek to be great. They seek to be teachers. They seek to be respected. And if you seek those things, you'll probably more than likely get them. And if that's what you were after, you've already received your reward, as Yeshua will say. I like to think of our educational system, I like to think of it like this. Because we think the more master degrees we get, the more doctorates we get, the better we are. And certainly when we wear our doctorates like a badge of honor, we receive the kind of respect we're looking for, and it is our reward, right? However, if we truly seek to be great in God's kingdom and have respect to the king, we won't seek after doctorates or education in the universities, but we'll seek to understand the Lord and his word through relationship. We will seek to know him and get the answers for our lives from him. Amen? The greatest example of this is in the book of Numbers. I love this book. I love this statement. You know, Moses was great in the kingdom. So great that the Torah will ever be called after his name. The five books of Moses, the Torah of Moses. And when we read about Moses, we see this powerful man who at the raising of his staff, the sea parts, who takes the staff and strikes the rock and water flows out of the rock, who, because of him, the ground opens up and swallows men. We see people punished by God for disagreeing with him. And yet, if we read the book of Numbers chapter 12, it says this of Moses. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. You see, all of the deeds, every deed that I see recorded in the Torah by Moses, save one, were actually at the command of God. They were the will of God because it was God who told him to raise his staff. Moses, just in humility, obeyed, and the sea parted. It was God who told Moses to strike the rock, and Moses humbly obeyed, and water flowed. Moses obeyed God, and the earth opened up and swallowed Korah and his men and his entire household. It's listening and obeying that will bring you true accolades. Listen, a mystery and a course of action for, uh, for your life. If you seek to have God call you humble rather than others call you great, you'll receive the very best accolade that you can ever receive. You'll be like Moses. You'll be great because of your humility and your following God. You see, you can only be as good a teacher. I can only be as good a teacher 
as I can teach others to live by Yeshua's words and follow him because he's the true teacher. Amen? Now, there's something else that's suspicious about this passage if you, if you didn't see it. And that's the way it's been interpreted by the church and the church fathers. Think about this. Think about this. The church has had no problem calling any one of its people teacher. Some parts of the church have had no problem calling their leaders father. As I said, even the early church leaders are called the fathers of the church. The fathers of the faith. But let me say, nowhere in the church do you find the church rabbis. Right? The rabbis of the faith. Right? Listen to this from the apostolic constitutions. Listen to this. The bishop, he is the minister of the word, the keeper of knowledge, the mediator between God and you in several parts of your divine worship. He is the teacher of piety. And next to God, he is your father who has begotten you to be to the adoption of sons by the water and the spirit. He is your ruler and governor. He is your king and potentate. He is next after God, your earthly God, who has the right to be honored by you. Now, I just read that because I want you to see that they had no problems with the term teacher or father. But with the term rabbi, which became widely used by the Jewish teachers of the law, with that they had a problem. And why did they have a problem? Well, because they were trying to separate the church from its Jewish roots. And they were quite successful, I might add. You know, when people call me rabbi, people call me and say, why do you call yourself rabbi? And I've always asked myself, why don't they call me and ask me, why do you call yourself teacher? They never ask me that. See, what I want you to see is there's an element of anti-Semitism here in the church's rendering of this verse. They have no problem calling someone a teacher, but they sure have a problem calling someone a rabbi. Yeshua says, let no man call you rabbi. What he's saying is, don't seek after the accolades of men. The other thing that we can glean from Yeshua's words is something that I've taught on many times. And that is a rabbi had a special relationship with his disciples. It was a special relationship. There's a teacher I'm going to read in a moment. He used to work closely with Dwight Pryor and those of the original Hebrew Roots movement. And let me say something before I get into what he said. The Hebrew Roots movement of today is not the same as the Hebrew Roots movement of a few years ago. The Hebrew Roots movement of today is merely a renaming, a rebranding of the two-house movement. You see, what happened is they took so much flack for the error of their two-house teaching, and the teaching was so ridiculous that they don't even call themselves that anymore. They don't want to be associated with their former name. Try as you may, go to their websites. Try as you may, you can't find that term on their websites. But they've rebranded themselves the Hebrew Roots Movement. And you'll do well to stay away from those teachings because they're wrought with the same error as the two-house movement incorporated. They just have rebranded themselves. But the original Hebrew Roots Movement of the 80s and 90s 
was men like Dwight Pryor, Marvin Wilson, and Ray Vanderland, who I'm going to quote in a moment. This was, these were true scholarly men who were filled with the Spirit, who were out to restore the truth of the Word of God. And sadly, like I say, the two-house movement has stole their name and brought disgrace to it. But anyway, this is a quote from Ray Vanderland. Students sought permission to study with a famous rabbi, often leaving home to travel with him for a lengthy period of time. These students were called Talmudim in Hebrew, which is translated disciple. A Talmud wanted to be like his teacher, to become what his teacher is. That meant that his students were passionately devoted to their rabbi, noted everything that he did or said. This meant that the rabbi-Talmud relationship was a very intense and personal system of education. As the rabbi lived and taught his understanding of the scriptures, his students listened and watched and imitated so as to become like him. Eventually, they would become teachers passing on a lifestyle to their Talmudim. And so what Ray is saying is that the rabbi would train his disciple and when he was done, he'd be a copy of him. And then he would go out and carry on those teachings. He would literally learn his teachings word for word. Well, Yeshua says, don't do this. Don't go out and gather disciples for yourself. Don't go out and make copies of yourself. Go out and make copies of me. That's why the Great Commission says, it's worded this way. Go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey what I have commanded. Not what you have commanded, but what I have commanded. And so understand that this passage is about calling no man rabbi, teacher, or father. It's not about the words or the titles. It's about bringing glory and accolades to yourself. Demanding that people call you rabbi. Don't do it. Give the glory to Yeshua. Because without him, I can tell you this, you would be nothing. It's not about being a teacher or a rabbi. It's all about requiring people to pay you homage through a title or through your learning. I could just as easily say, call no man prophet. Call no man apostle. Call no man bishop. It's not the word. It's not the title, but it's about bringing honor and glory to oneself. You know, we have churches that require you call the leader pastor to set him apart above the rest. We have churches that require you call a leader bishop to give honor to that man. You can go to churches where they, they have bishop this, prophet this, apostle this, deacon that. You have all these titles in the church. And you better call them by their title or you're going to be corrected. That's what Yeshua is talking about. You know, we've had people come in here and want me to call them prophet or apostle. Well, I'm not going to contribute to their delinquency. Because let me tell you something. If you're a teacher, people will know it. You don't have to tell them. And I can tell you this. If you're a prophet, people will know it. You don't have to wear a name badge. Prophet so-and-so. And I can tell you this, I've met a few true prophets, they don't even want the badge. They don't even want to be doing what they're doing. So this passage is about taking for yourself honor 
that rises above your brother and sister and Messiah. It's about requiring people to give you honor that belongs to God and Messiah alone. The honor belongs to Yeshua because without him, you and I and anyone else in God's kingdom is just dust. Without him, I have nothing to teach. Without him, there's no prophecy to be spoken. Without him, there's no one sent. Or we could say there's no apostle because it means sent one. You see, it's all about Yeshua. He's the redeemer. We're only the redeemed. Nothing more. Think about it. It's the original sin. As, as at creation, God took our ancestor and formed him from the dust, the refuse of the earth, and formed him into his very image, and then he breathed into him life. Not only that, then he gave him authority to rule over the creation that he had made. And what happened? Well, it all went to his head. He sinned, and by his disobedience, he sinned and fell. God, then, to save him, sent his son into the world to redeem man. So it's because of what Yeshua did that he's able to again reach down into the dust and the refuse of the earth, grab a hold of you and I, and begin to reform us back into his image so that he can once again breathe into us life, this time life eternal. Isn't that just wonderful? See, Yeshua is saying, don't make the same mistake Adam did. Don't let it go to your head by taking the credit for yourself. He's saying, don't give credit for what I have done, for what the Spirit of God is doing to another, because you are all brothers and sisters and nothing more. And then he concludes with this. The greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. If you want to be great in the kingdom, then be like Moses. Humble yourself and allow God to be great through you. Be like your true rabbi and master. He humbled himself right, leaving the right hand of the Father to come here to walk through the dust and the refuse of the earth. He humbled himself to talk to the fallen of the earth and he didn't require men to call him rabbi, teacher, or master, but they did because they saw in him the Father. Forget the titles, forget the honor, it's all fleeting. Seek the kingdom of God and give the glory for whatever you are and are not to Messiah because he's the redeemer and we're just the redeemed.